Well, as you know, I've been on sabbatical the last few months, and of the many advantages of being on sabbatical, one of those is that I've got a whole host of new sermon illustrations that I can share for years to come. Just a lot of time to do silly things and observe stuff, and uh, one of those I want to share with you this morning. Over the past month or so, my oldest daughter, Macy, has been in the process of uh, looking for and buying a, a new car, a new used car. And since I had plenty of time on my hands, I found myself more involved in this process than maybe I normally would be. And I have to admit, I kind of got addicted to it. Because you're searching for cars online, uh, you can find so many different things. And I mean, I was on Facebook Marketplace and usedcars.com and all these things. And, and it's kind of fun of picking out colors and whatnot and looking at different stuff. Well, we finally found one a few weeks ago that we both liked. It was at a used car dealership about 30 minutes north of Cincinnati. And I thought that was a little far to go to a used car. However, it made sense. And I thought, you know, this would be a little father-daughter bonding time as we search for this car. I made Macy call and set up the appointment. So it was 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning. We had to be 30 minutes north of Cincinnati. So Saturday morning, 7 o'clock, we're on the road to go buy this dream car. So we arrived at, at this lot, and it doesn't look nearly as impressive online as it did in real life, as you might imagine. The person with whom Macy had spoken and set up the appointment didn't show up for work that morning. Uh, one of the other salesmen was so mad about that, he was cursing so loudly, someone else had to calm him down while we're sitting there listening. And I'm like, this is getting crazy. So he showed a picture of the car that we had been looking for. And the salesman said, that car doesn't exist. We're like, well, well here it is. There's a picture. And he was like, I don't think so, but, but let me check again. He came back and he said, oh, that one is across the street. And I remember thinking, I, I wonder what it means that it's across the street. We're in a used car dealership. What's across the street? Well, 20 minutes later, he comes back with his car. It's covered in cobwebs where it hasn't been started in a long time. We thought it was black. He said it was blue, but when it showed up, it was a little bit black, blue, green. We're not sure what color it actually was. But then the real kicker is the man said, we couldn't get it to start, so we had to jump it off, but I think it'll be fine now. I'm like, great. So here we are, cobwebs, weird color, crazy salesman cussing everywhere. The car's not there, but we take it for a test drive down the Dixie Highway. It's already hot outside. And just to top everything else off, we turn the air conditioning on and it doesn't work at all. Pretty much, this was a total disaster. There was a little bit of bonding time, I suppose, with Macy and me. However, in terms of searching for a car, everything that could go wrong went wrong, completely wrong. But here's what happened for me. As we're driving back to the dealership, Macy doesn't even want to drive it. Thanks, no thanks, so I'm driving. As we're there, kind of in silence, I started thinking, I bet we could get a good price on this car. <laughs> um, maybe this could kind of be the steal of the draft. You know, maybe we could make this work after all. It's kind of a unique color. That'd be fun. Does Macy really need air conditioning? Probably not. <laughs> maybe we could do it. I mentioned this to her, and just very, very, very quickly, she looked at me, where she never looked more like her mother in her life. She looked at me, <laughs> and it was just like, no, we're not buying this car. This is horrible. I would rather have no car than this car. And of course, she was right. 
But you know what was going on inside of my heart? I was kind of tired of searching. I was kind of tired of waiting, kind of tired of persevering. I'd done all this research. I was like, you know what? It's not that bad. Let's just settle with this thing and it'll be fine. All of my intentions were completely based on what I could imagine and create. I had a good plan, a solid desire, a hopeful outcome. I was helping the next child who would be inheriting Macy's car. But yet, this was a bad idea. But in my heart, I just wanted to settle so it would be over. You know, for us this morning, as we think about this passage, we think about these words of King David in prayer I think what we see is inside of our heart, inside the lives of us as God's children, that there's something going on inside of us where we often want to settle for those things which we can imagine, which we can create, which our intentions, even though they might be noble, God has something better for us or something different for us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, just as Paul says in Ephesians. I think there's a couple things true of every one of us this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you walk with God, if you live by faith, then chances are, first, you've seen his faithfulness in your life. At some point in time, you've seen him answer prayer. You've seen him do things. You've seen him work things out for his glory and for your good, and you recognize that it's good. And also this morning, if you're still here, if you're still living by faith, then there's a host of things going on in your heart right now, and you still are trusting the Lord. And what happens for us is that even though we know what the Lord has done in the past, and even though we can trust Him, there's an element of we just want it to be over now and let's get on with life. And our text is reminding us again this morning and instructing us this morning that what we think is good, God very well may have a different plan completely beyond what we would have ever anticipated. So my proposition for us this morning, as we look at these words from King David, is that God takes our seemingly good intentions and replaces them with his greater gifts. Our two points I want us to focus on from this prayer. First, when God answers the prayer of his people, he first reveals our true position in him. And then secondly, he reveals his ultimate power to us. So I want us to see what's true of us in Christ and what's true of God our Father as our King. Briefly, let me put this passage into context. Traditionally, when we think of 2 Samuel chapter 7, we think of the Davidic covenant. And that's what happens in the first part of this chapter where David has this desire to build a house for God. But God in turn tells him, no, that there is going to be a line that comes from you that ultimately will be the Messiah of all people. David, you have this desire to build me a house, but rather I have a desire for you that's something you don't even know about. That David, I'm going to have a Messiah come from you and your line that will last for all of eternity. So here David is, this youngest member of of a common family, a shepherd, and now he's king over Israel. He has grown in military power, first in his battle with Goliath, and then over time in his search of Saul. And now David is in a position to rule, and he desires to do something for God. And we see in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, he wants to build a house on earth for God. And that is to host the Ark 
of God. And that is at that point in redemptive history, the place where God's presence dwelt on earth. And he wants to build a home for God. David is saying, I have a home, but the place of God has no home. I want to do this. He speaks to Nathan in the first part of chapter 7. Nathan communicates with the Lord. And he returns to David with the promise that God has for him, which is very different than him building a house. The answer to David is no, you'll not build this house, David. Your son Solomon will, but rather what you desire. David, I have something so much greater. God takes David's good desires and he multiplies them. David wants a house, God wants a dynasty. And we're caught up into this covenant promise because it is the person of Christ. If you know Jesus and he's your king, it's all part of this covenant that happened with David. It's so much greater than anything David could have ever thought was possible. So as I studied and meditated on this passage, what really caught my attention was not just the covenant made with David, but David's response to the unbelievable kindness of God. And that is a prayer which we have just read. Beginning with verse 18. This is David's aha moment. It's the words of his heart that that pour out when he realizes, oh, I belong to your kingdom, oh God. You don't belong to mine. I'm your servant. You're not mine. My life is about you and your glory, not about me. Oh God, you're going to do more than I could have ever anticipated. So we see David's response here. Again, I, I want this to serve as a guide in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own worship of prayer. First, let's be reminded of ourself as we see David's transformation in his own heart. Verses 18 through 21, we see the servant being reminded of his position. Again, David's just been instructed of all that will take place, that this coming Messiah will will come from him. God's made this covenant of promise to him. And in this section of Scripture... David is the physical king over God's people on earth. It's certainly a pretty amazing position in which he is in. Here he is, the greatest military commander on earth. But something changed in his heart. Notice this renewed humility that occurs. Some commentators believe, and I think that they are right as I've thought about this passage, that there's an element here that David at the beginning of chapter 7 is pretty impressed with himself. He's done so much for God. He has conquered. He has survived. He has persevered. He has seen the Lord do incredible things that maybe he had become a little bit arrogant in who he was. Maybe a little bit too impressed that he thought he knew exactly what God wanted just because he was David. And why not? He was the king of Israel. And he comes up with this idea of building a house for God. As if he is now so wise, he knows exactly what God wanted him to do. It's as if, when you read the passage, that David and God are co-equals together. David had been so busy serving God that he reached a point where he lost touch with the wonder of all that God had done for him, of who he was and who he is now. But in verse 18, he simply says, Who am I? And what is my house? What is my home? That I should belong to you, O Lord God. 
These are the words of a follower of God who has been renewed by the grace of God. Someone who remembers, oh God, if it weren't for you, I would have nothing. You see, God's kindness toward him turned his heart away from all of his own accomplishments, away from his title, away from his responsibility, and turned his heart to the reality of where would I be if it weren't for God's gracious initiation into my life? And his heart was renewed. His eyes were now on himself as he actually is. David is the king, and it's because God made it so. Three different times here, David refers to himself as your servant. He did not refer to himself as I am the king. No, no, no. Yes, I'm the king, but I belong to you and your greater kingdom. That's who I am. You see the transition? This is not David choosing humility. This is God's spirit renewing one of his beloved children to remind him of his real status. I love verse 19. I think it's beautiful. David simply prays, this instruction is for mankind. What he means by that is the whole world needs to know that this is the work of God, of who I am and what I've done and all I've accomplished. It's because God does it. The NIV reads with this passage, God, is this how you deal with mankind? That is, are you that good to people like us? The whole world needs to know this. God took David's seemingly good intention and over time did more than he would have ever thought possible. And the whole world needs to know that that is what God does. So let me ask you this morning, what do you deserve from the Lord? Should he be so inclined to be gracious to you? Well, if you've been around this church for long, you know the answer to that. You don't deserve anything good from the Lord, right? Because of our sin, we're enemies of God. But because of the coming of Jesus Christ and him taking our sin, now what do we deserve from God? We deserve what he chooses to give us. And he has demonstrated who he is and that he pours love and grace and mercy upon us. Time after time, we were his enemies. Now we are his children. See, David was reminded his status had changed. Who am I? Who are you, David? You're the royal son of God because God made it so. The apostle Paul could say, I'm the chief of sinners and I'm now the more than a conqueror in Christ. See, David is blown away of the gospel as we know it, this gift of God, that he's humbled in the reality he deserves nothing, but he's exalted in that God has given him everything. You know, one day on my sabbatical, I had lunch with a buddy of mine, Fritz Games. He's the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian in Louisville. We met in Frankfurt one day just, just for a casual lunch and caught up as buddies, talked about life and ministry, children, that sort of thing, and our food came, and, and Fritz said, well, let me pray. And I'd been thinking about this passage, and immediately out of his mouth came these words. Oh, God, thank you that you treat us like kings. And I was like, amen, amen. I was prepared to worship there in Frankfurt, eating lunch. It was, God, thank you. You treat us like kings. We don't deserve it, but it's who we are. 
You know, one of the reasons that even Christians were caught up in the royal wedding. What was it about Meghan Markle that intrigued us all? It was simply the element of, what's she doing there? How did she get there? She doesn't deserve to be royal. She's a commoner. She's one of us. She's American. And here she is. She's now royal. Isn't that our story? What are we doing here? What we're doing here is Jesus Christ put us here. So how has God's grace affected you this morning? Are you renewed in the reality that you don't belong to be here, but Jesus Christ says he wants you here? Has his faithfulness in answering prayer after prayer after prayer in your life, has that affected you in such a way that you believe in him? There's a warning for us that we see throughout scripture. And that is in our ministries, in our works of service, in our acts of kindness, that we can easily become prideful. We can easily begin to think way too highly of ourselves. And we need to be reminded, oh no, no. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. Our true self is what Jesus says that we are. But secondly, be reminded quickly of the power of God as well as as seen in the answer of this prayer of David. Verse 22 and beyond. David now turns his gaze away, away from himself and simply recognizing who God is. He sees himself rightly, but now his heart has turned toward worship. And these words are filled with praise. His words of his heart and his head now match. His view of God was once small, manifest in thinking that he could on his own, in his own strength, in his own power, in his own experience, ascertain the things of God. And now he realizes, oh, no, no, God is way different than me. He's way more than me. Now he's experiencing God's grace and kindness in his heart. And he doesn't just refer to God as God, but eight different times in our passage, he refers to God as the Lord God, as Yahweh. And this title in Hebrew is an element of both God's power and God's nearness at the same time. What we often say is God's transcendence and his eminence. That he is holy in his power. He was perfect in his perfection. He's unlike us And yet he's our father. We draw near to him. He is ours and we are his. One of my theological professors a long time ago said, we we know God truly, but we do not know him exhaustively. But what we know of him is that he demonstrates his power in his love and his goodness. I want us to see this morning that when your trust is in God's character, when your trust is in his attributes of who he is, his sovereign nature, then regardless of your circumstances, your hearts will change. And you can trust him because of his declaration to you of love. David, I think in the midst of praise, recognized the shallowness of his own desires Recognize the shallowness of, oh, I think I can come up with what God wants. And recognize only thing that is worthy of praise is him who is above me and beyond me. If we think we have God figured out, then we have reduced him to our level and he is no longer God. The reason you can trust his power 
is that he declares again and again and again, he is good and he loves you. I love verse 27 of this passage. I find it fascinating. Of all that God did in David's heart, what he says now is, I have the courage to pray. The courage to pray for hard things. Because of who I am, because of who God is now inside of my walk of faith, I have the courage to ask God to do far more than I can ask or imagine in every detail of my life. David is saying, if you could take me, a lowly shepherd boy, and an eternal Messiah can come from me, what can you not do? God has given him courage to ask God to fulfill his promise. So again, let me ask you this morning, for you as an adopted child of God, who is loved by the maker of the world, what are you trusting of him today? What seems impossible in your heart? What seems impossible in your mind? As you wait, as you persevere, as you experience times of joy, as you fight unbelief, turn your eyes upon his character and his declaration to you and have the courage to continue to trust. I really believe this, as I've thought and I've prayed about this passage. If you can picture the outcome of your prayers, then your view of God is way too small. Take comfort this morning and find joy today that you serve the powerful King. He's trustworthy because He's good. Can trust him because in his goodness, he's our father. Well, we did buy a car a couple weeks ago. You knew that's how the story was going to end. It came from a trusted connection of an old friend, and the details came together just fine. The truth is, I was involved, but really just barely. It all kind of came together. So, in the midst of all of my working, in the midst of all of my business, in the midst of all of my fretting, there, there was a good plan that came together. Um, but the reality is I want to rule my life with my own imagination and my own heart and my own desires. All the while, God is bringing about his providence in our life, his perfect, loving, holy will for his people. So as you prepare to come to the communion table this morning, I hope that we'll all have an experience similar to David, where we say, what am I doing here? I don't deserve this. Maybe you come to church this morning simply because you desire to be religious. You think it's a good idea to go to church. Maybe this is uh, your idea of being a good person or to practice morality. Please know what this table declares to you. Jesus has a lot more for you than just that. David wanted to build a house for God. God said, David, I don't need your house. You need my house. Oh, David, I have a home for you beyond what you could ever imagine. And we are the recipients of that home. If you know Jesus Christ, then you belong to his royal family, and it lasts forever. So people of God, he has given us more in the person of Jesus Christ than we could have ever hoped for. We have the King. Let's pray now and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come to his table. Well, Father, as we think about 
your word. We think about your promises. Oh, Lord, your word says that you are good. Your word says that you love us. And your word says that your kingdom will last forever. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. In the midst of our walks of faith, in the midst of our callings and responsibilities, oh, Lord, our hearts hunger to be closer to you. So, Lord, as we now come to this table, would you remind us afresh of your grace? Would you renew us again with your kindness to us? Do this, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.